her source. Whatever is up here in the head seems to come straight out, just gushing out. And what's neat about Robbie is, while oftentimes he's quiet, you'd call him a quiet guy, he's also extremely quick to listen, to be considerate, to think before he speaks. And I think that Robbie is that way because he's seen people like I, people like me, gush forth things that I don't want to say, lose my ability sometimes to take control over my tongue. So Robbie, I think, is pretty satisfied with being what you'd call a quiet guy. James, in our passage, chapter 3 of James this morning, is keenly aware of our inability to control our tongues. The fact that things just come forth and we just stand back and we say to ourselves, oh, why did I say that? You walk away and you rub your head and think, what was I thinking? How did that come out of my mouth? What's neat about this passage this morning is it's one, I would, I would dare say, if you're from 5 to 95, this is an issue you have. This is an issue you struggle with, controlling that tongue. In fact, most of us in this room probably in the last 24 hours have probably said or, or thought something, spoken something to someone that we wish we, we wouldn't have said. It's an issue that for thousands of years, human beings have been dealing with. And James is keenly aware of that fact. And so what he does in chapter 3, if you'd turn there to chapter 3 in the book of James in your Bibles, is he constructs an argument that tries to convince us, get this, of something we already know. He's going to spend 12 verses, the largest chunk of time in the entire book of James, the entire letter of James, trying to convince us of something that we already know, that the tongue is a potent instrument, able to do great harm and able to do great good. And so he spends the largest chunk of time in his entire letter on this subject. He also builds into it almost a pyramid of thought. I look at it like this. Starting in chapter 1, he builds, mentioning this theme in every chapter along the way into chapter 3. And then after this chunk of section of scripture that we're going to study this morning, he'll even continue to talk about it. Some examples... Or chapter 1's claim that James notes that one's temptations come from God. The verbalization that, oh, that sin that's over there that I really want to get into, that came from God. He's testing me. James says, no way. Also in the second chapter here, the greetings that are flattering to the rich, but yet scornful to the poor. The way we favor people and we verbalize that favoritism. In chapter 2. Also in chapter 2, the careless religious discourse that says that we care for the poor and yet do nothing to meet their needs tangibly. Do nothing to actually lend a hand and help them out. And in chapter 2 as well, the superficial speech of those who claim to have faith but yet do nothing. Is my mic a little close to my face? Sorry about that. Um, After chapter 3, after he's built up into chapter 3, he continues to mention some other things. He mentions judging and slandering a brother. He mentions boasting of one's plans and grumbling against a brother. In fact, it's all the way until chapter 5, if you're reading James, we've gone up in this pyramid of thought where he's mentioning some concepts of speech to this chapter 3. It it, it takes us all the way to chapter 5 until we get kind of a positive presentation on the concept of speech. James, again, is keenly aware of the power of our tongues to do harm. So before we even get to our text this morning, we should be aware that James has got something important to say, and we should come with a keen expectation 
that he's going to say something that's going to hit us. And so if you would read with me in the third chapter of James. James starts by saying, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes is speaking, and speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. And then he gives some examples about the power and the potency of the tongue. He says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses and make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships, though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. He gives this example of a horse, a thousand plus pound animal, muscles ripping out, being controlled by a tiny two to three inch metal bit. And the example of a large ship, strong winds take it, need are needed to even push this ship along and yet a small rudder controls it so the tongue is this way its consequences its power its potency are far reaching is this true you know this is true this is something that is so true for all of us in the ancient world all would agree on this fact the world to which james was writing the world in which he lived they would all agree with this fact from the sages in Egypt, to the biblical books like Proverbs and the apocryphal book of Syrac, to, to the historians like Plutarch and Seneca, they were all convinced of this fact that silence is better than speech, that hearing and not speaking is the pathway to wisdom, and that speech, when necessary, should always be under control and probably terse. James exemplifies this in our passage this morning as he writes very little but says a great deal. Let's read on. In in the second half of verse 5, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the entire body, sets on fire the cycle of of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. A fairly negative presentation of the tongue. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh water. James is pointing out something that should actually shock us in a way. He's saying that this tongue, and I've, I've titled this, morning, uh, this morning's message, Unforking the Tongue. He's noting that the tongue has this interesting ability to speak words in blessing to God. To care for those that are rich and maybe could benefit us and yet curse those around us curse those human beings who are made in the image of god he's saying this should not be so in the same way this should not be so you should look at nature you wouldn't expect let's say an apple tree to produce oranges or freshwater the example he gives to also yield salt these are things in nature that we would look at and stare at and be appalled in the ancient world he's saying this should not be the same this should be the same with your tongue the same thing should not should not come out of your mouth both blessing both blessing and curse i saw this illustrated 
an extremely powerful way by a speaker by the name of Francis Chan when I was in college. He stood up in front of about a thousand of us with a Yahoo chocolate milk in his right hand. He said, oh, I love Yahoo chocolate milk. And he opens the tech cap and he takes a sip. And you're like, okay, I'm on board. I like chocolate milk. And he takes another sip. I love chocolate milk. And then he reaches down from where we can't see and he picks up a bottle of Snapple pink lemonade. It's not bad stuff. And he opens that bottle of Snapple pink lemonade and he drinks that. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, milk product, acidic lemonade, the two sides of the pH balance. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, this is, this is a little weird. And so he says, oh, I like, I like chocolate milk, drinks a little more chocolate milk. Oh, I like a little more lemonade. And all of a sudden you're actually feeling what he's probably feeling in the pit of your stomach. The, the, the fact that these two things, although good in and of themselves, do not belong together. These two things are incompatible. They should be incompatible in our minds. And we should, in a way, be appalled by the combination in the same way of both blessing coming from our mouths to God and cursing to God's creation. The ancient world would have agreed with James in many ways in his presentation of speech here. They would have used those examples like the examples of the, the horse and the bridle of the ship and its rudder or the forest fire that is set ablaze by a small spark. But they probably would have stopped short with when he says and when he presents it in such a pessimistic or negative fashion. You see, in the ancient world, a world very akin to our own, they prized community, yes, but individual moral and character formation above all else. And what I mean by that is when you spoke in the ancient world, if words that you were speaking were improper or out of place, it reflected poorly upon you. It was all about you. Does this sound like our culture a little bit? A really strong drive towards concern for me and what's going on with me and how I look and how I sound. So when James starts talking so negatively, he says that it's set on fire by hell. Kind of an odd phrase. That word actually in the Greek is Gehenna. It's a valley. Uh, it, it's in the Hinnom Valley south of Jerusalem, a place where they burned fire you may have heard of. So he's saying it's this place where just fire and flame and it destroys is the imagery there in the idea. It destroys relationships. So they would have stopped short with this negative presentation. In the Hellenistic world, the Greek world, the ancient world, improper shame, uh, speech brought shame upon an individual person. But James brings the issue from the individual's concern, and he says it has far, far more reaching consequences and ramifications than that. It's not just about you, is what he's saying. For James, the issue is much larger. For him, failure to control speech is actually the very antithesis, the opposite of what true religion is all about. And that's why in 126, in the first chapter of James, he says, those of you who think you are religious but yet don't bridle your tongue, your religion is what? Worthless. This area, this, this tool, this instrument that is so important in our lives, communicating to other human beings, can do so much harm and yet can do so much good. If humans are created in the image of God, we betray our religious allegiances when we improperly respond to God's creation. And that's a theme that I'm going to flush out for you later. I think for me, it's a lot like the phrase easy come, easy go. It's so easy for us to speak. It's so easy for words to come out. 
And the scene looks a lot like this. The scene looks a lot like you walk in, let's say, and you're comfortable with your family members. You're comfortable with your friends or your coworkers. And so words just flow forth from you. And words flow forth from them. Many times to create an environment that is just such a blessing to be around. And many times an environment that some of us shudder. Some of us don't want to be involved in. It's so easy. So it's it's almost like the speaking that comes out of our mouths, this issue is so easily internalized, so easily just made to be a focus on ourselves. And James is saying, no, you need to think of it in a larger scale. And probably the most important thing I have to say to you this morning is to communicate that fact to you. That fact that when you speak, it's not a cursory thing. It's not an easy come, easy go thing. There's actually a whole lot more to it. There are far-reaching ramifications. And James is going to flush this out in just a second for us. But a second more on the comparison between the ancient world and the world of our own. When James writes, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry, those in the ancient world would have been right on line with this. Ancient Greek philosophers would have said, yes, amen, that's great, perfect. Slow to speak, quick to listen, perfect. Slow to get angry, they're on board with him. Internally, individually, that makes sense, right? It's a wise thing to do. Yeah, listen quickly. Don't, don't speak foolish words. It looks bad when you, when you speak or respond improperly to other human beings. Don't do that. But James adds something, those of you who know what that, that verse 19 in chapter 1 says. He says, for anger, human anger does not produce God's righteousness. What has James done? He's added a level of religious complexity to this issue. He says there's more than just you and your own individual formation of character. He's saying God is actually involved in this process. You are affecting more than just yourself. It's like the rock that's dumped into the ocean or the, or the, or the lake and the ripples go out and out and out and affect more and more areas of life. There's power and potency in the tongue. Here's where it comes kind of full circle and actually connects with a, a narrative, with a story that the Jews of the first century of which James is one would have resonated and heard in their ears very, very clearly. James connects this story, this passage in James chapter 3 with the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And while you're, while you're turning there, I'll connect a couple of verses for you from James chapter 3. James says in chapter 3, verse 7, For every species of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. No one can tame the tongue. With it we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the image of God. That phraseology comes from the first chapter in Genesis. So we're right in verse 1, the first book of the Bible, one of the most familiar stories in all of history. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind of God slept over the, uh, swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be. Look at verse 6. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters. And verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together. Verse 11. And God said. Verse 14. And God said. And on and on and on. Until verse 26, when the one that we really like. And then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. And this is where we connect with James. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over cattle, 
and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, both male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living thing that moves on the earth. God, through speaking, creates. Language is a world-creating activity. We see that in the first verses of Genesis. Speech, through speech, God actually created the world. And he invites us to partner with him in this process. If you look in chapter 2, verse 19, you'll see that the first and most distinctive gift given to humans in Genesis was the ability to name. And if you think a step further, the ability to name is actually the ability to create language. And so what does God do in chapter 2? He gives this first human, verse 19, so out of every ground, Uh, So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to man. And this is Hebrew Adam. This is a genderless being to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man Adam called every living creature, that was its name. And so Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for man, there was not found a helpful partner. God, what does God give Adam? What does God give the first human beings? He gives them the ability to create language. And in doing so, continue to partner with God in his creative enterprises in the world. God creates through language and God says, here is this gift to you. Create a world through language, through speech. Create a world in the way I intended it to be, a world where blessing pours forth from your mouth and not curse. And those of you who know the narrative know that this didn't exactly happen. And here we are thousands and thousands of years later struggling with this issue of creating the proper world, the intended world with our tongues and with language. Language is a world-creating activity as we see with God's first words in Genesis. It also has the ability to be a world-destroying activity. It has the power to destroy. Entire communities from the beginning of time to our present age have been destroyed by improper speech. Gossip, slander, verbal abuse destroys churches, families, relationships, friendships on all levels. And I think that we have all experienced this in one way or another. So the question that I have for you this morning is what kind of world are you creating? I mean, I think we're pretty convinced by the fact that the power of words, words are potent. There's power behind what we say. And James makes a very powerful connection, I feel, between the creation of worlds, the creation of environments through our tongues, through through, uh, language, through speech. And I think that from that, he asks us this question. What kind of world are we creating with our tongues? What kind of world are we creating with our language? I have three thoughts for you this morning. The first is to beware of words that belittle yourself. If you go back in your life and you think about maybe when you were younger and someone said an affirming word to you, that word has stuck with you and has made such a difference in your life, giving you hope in times when you didn't feel like there was any there, that is a 
That is a great and that is a powerful thing to rest on. Many of us remember an experience that was a little different than that. Many of us remember experiences where a trusted friend or a family member or a teacher or a coach said something to us that just tore us to shreds. And those words echo in our heads to this present day, some of you 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later. You keep replaying those words in your mind, belittling yourself, actually directing the way you live and interact in this world through those words. Maybe words that were uttered just so cursory by that person that you trusted. Just flippantly, they just went from one part of their brain out their mouth to you and they didn't ever and have actually never even thought about it again. But what do we do? Those words echo in our minds over and over and over again. Some of us were told we're ugly. Some of us were told we're not talented. Some of us were told we're not special in one way or another. Boy, those words hurt. They have far-reaching ramifications. So beware of words that belittle yourself. The second is like it. Beware of words that belittle others. Now you're on the other side of this. It's very important to beware of words that belittle ourselves to avoid that, but equally important to beware of words that belittle others. I picture it a lot like each of us is walking around with a cup, maybe just a little plastic paper cup filled with water. And this cup represents our self-image. It represents our confidence, our self-confidence, how we view ourselves in reference to the rest of the world. And a lot of times we spend a tremendous amount of time protecting what's in our cup Maybe it's three-quarter full, half full, some more than others. By taking other people's cups and kind of going like this to them and knocking them over, spilling their cup a little bit. So then all of a sudden, what's your cup look like that was three-quarters full compared to the guys who was half full? Now their cup has got a quarter amount of water in it. And all of a sudden, you look pretty good. We take from other people, another way maybe to look at it is those of us, um, you could picture it like this. Maybe we are like, a a piece of paper, just a blank sheet of eight and a half by 11. And there's a rip out of our piece of paper. And so to make ourselves, our unwhole selves feel better, we rip into other people. We stand upon other people to make ourselves feel better because then we look better. Beware of words that belittle others. And the principle is extremely simple. Christ is asked in the Gospels, by a group of teachers of the law, of uh, the Old Testament law, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your speech. Fairly simple. And he says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You manifest your love for God by how you care about those around you. And so Christ is saying, in the same way that you feel and verbalize your care and concern for God, That care and concern for God means very little if you don't care for others around you. And so Christ is asking us to create an environment, to create a world through our tongues, through speech, through language, a world in which instead of us focusing on our inability to do things, on the areas in life where we fall short and thus reacting to God's creation, people created in the image of God, Accordingly, he says, why don't we create a world where instead of using words that belittle each other to make ourselves feel better, why don't we use words that are kind and affirming? And that's the third point. So beware of words that belittle yourself. Beware of words that belittle others. And instead, fill that time 
fill those words, that language with words that affirm. Because if you picture that environment, if you picture the world that is created through words that affirm, and all of us have experiences where this comes so true, and we know this is true because of those experiences in our past, those times when someone came up to us, put their hand on our shoulder and said to us, man, you did a great job. Man, you're talented in that area. Boy, you're just, you're going to do great things in this area of your life. You may not even have believed it at the time. I don't even know if you believe it now. But those words of affirmation change and can change the direction of people's lives. Now picture this environment. Picture a family environment much like maybe your own. Where the husband comes home after a day of work. And the, the wife is at home and she maybe didn't get a chance to put dinner on. Maybe was dealing with all kinds of issues with children. The husband, what has his day been like? It's been rough. He's gotten maybe chewed out by his boss. He's had stress unimaginable. They didn't communicate about this at all throughout the day. And he comes home. He's hungry. And what does he say? Where's dinner? And what does she say? It's in a can. (laughs) You see the environment that then builds from that? He is torn into her and she tears into him. And then he tears back into her and then the kids come into the mix and it's environment of destruction that leaves a trail of waste that none of us are proud of. But guys, before you get home, or women, if you work, if before you get home and your husband is expected to, to make dinner, it's been a rough day, stop at that door and ask yourself, what's going to come out of my mouth in the next 20 minutes, in the next 10 seconds? Are they going to be words that affirm or words that tear down? What are the needs of those around me? And here's the most beautiful thing about this process If you actually buy into this, if you buy into one of the core values of Christ's ministry and one of the core values of Antioch Church, we will create environments that are so different than this environment of waste and damage strewn behind us like a tornado. Environments of beauty, environments of truth, environments and worlds we will create where people are affirmed, where their needs are met. I mean, it's a beautiful picture, isn't it? You think about your friends, your family members, your coworkers. If you take a second to ask yourself, what are their needs? How can I communicate and bless them with my tongue instead of curse them and tear them down? Then what is their response going to be more likely to you? How can I, as the reciprocation of that, bless you? It goes full circle. And so instead of tearing each other down, standing upon one another, what are we doing? We're lifting each other up. And we're becoming more and more and more like the people that God wants, to do, wants us to be. We're becoming the world that he intended it to be, the environment he intended it to be. Beware of words that belittle yourself. Beware of words that belittle others. And instead use words that affirm. Flip back to James chapter 3 for a second. James says in verse 2, for all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. Many people have looked at this passage and asked themselves, is James saying it's possible to be perfect? Not a chance. You won't get it right. And that's the, that's the sad thing about this. 
I started this by telling you, I'm going to tell you something you already know. James is going to try and convince you of something you already know. You already know that words are powerful. You already know that they have far-reaching consequences and ramifications. You know that language is potent, that it can create worlds that you just want to be in. Friends, that you walk away from that conversation, you're like, I feel better about myself. I would like to spend more time with that individual. You already know the individuals that tear you down. You already know the people that maybe you're intimidated to be around because they're going to say something that cuts you down. Speaking perfectly is not possible. But continue it. Think about circumstances in your lives. I think about those times when I've, maybe it's about 10 o'clock in the morning and I woke up at 7, got up and you're out interacting in public with people you know and, and they use this phrase, they use this phrase, man, you look tired. Do you guys like to hear that? That is the worst. Don't use that phrase. What about a haircut? Man, you get a haircut and you I got a haircut a while ago that some of my friends know was one of the worst. It was one of the worst experiences. I won't tell you where I went, but jeez. I got back from that haircut thinking this it was actually a painful experience. So what do I want to hear? What do I want to hear from my friends? Gosh, you look like an idiot. What did you do? You just spent $18 getting that haircut? Those aren't words that affirm. Don't say that. What about outfits? We know this is true. Man, you were looking in your closet, especially some of you college boys, and there's no clean clothes. So you throw together that shirt that you had in high school with those pants that are striped or whatever. You're intimidated by it. You're like, man, I don't want anybody to really see me or say anything. What are the first words out of your friend's mouth? You look like a moron. Okay. Then you go throughout your whole, whole day, and you're not confident. You don't have a proper self-image. We're letting materialism and fashion run the way we, we rule our relationships. It's absurd. Think about those areas in your life. It's, it's so simple. You have so many opportunities to do this. Bible commands us to care for the poor. Well, you've got, you've got needs. You've got things that have to be done. You have to go to work. You have to care for your family. You have to spend time in leisure taking care of yourself. And time for the poor maybe doesn't come up on your radar too often. That is, it, in fact, the reality of the situation. Important area, yes, but the amount of opportunities you have to care for the poor maybe won't be as many, certainly will not be as many, rather, as the opportunities that you have to bless and create worlds of blessing and beauty and truth with your tongue. Environments that affirm instead of tear down. You guys see that? What I want to do is I want to play a video for you. And I want you to let the scripture in this video touch you.
as I said, the Bible and God and the author of this letter, James, are keenly aware of the power of the tongue, the fact that death and life are in its grasp, in its hands. I think the idea that I want you to most get across, that I want most to get across to you this morning is that the tongue, although extremely powerful, although having the ability to create worlds of destruction, worlds where we are so concerned about our own needs that we tear others down, and also create worlds where we see an environment of just beauty and truth and blessing. The thing I want to get across to you is that there is a strategic effort that needs to be made on your part and mine. These scriptures, as I was reading them and preparing this video with Kip, hit me so hard. So much truth in each one of them. Because for thousands and thousands of years since at the beginning of time, human beings have been struggling with this issue. And divorces, broken homes in many ways, broken relationships have resulted from it. And that is why James presents such a negative portrayal of the tongue. There's very little hope. But as you saw in that video, there are verses that produce hope. There are words that can be fitly spoken. There is truth and affirmation that can come through words that is literally life-saving and create environments where life is what blossoms. And so that's what I would ask from God for each one of you and for myself. And that we would be strategic in that, that we would spend time filling our heads with affirmation that comes from a true and proper perspective of how God views you. And then from there, how you're to interact in this world. Because until you are satisfied with how God views you and your own self-image in his eyes, the eyes of the creator... Your ability to interact with other human beings will just always come short because you'll look for other human beings to meet your needs in a way that only God can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to just be blessed by your word this morning. And I pray that as we take the offering and and as as we use it as a symbol of our commitment back to you, and the fact that you will use our resources to bless others, I pray that you would also bless us in this area of speech and that you use it to challenge us and use it to encourage us that there is hope and that there is life that can come when we speak words fitly and season and properly. In your name we pray. Amen.